Shalom, greetings to you and have a blessed Sabbath today. I want to continue our journey in Rambam and Rashi, Angels and Calves. Now, some of my detractors out there are like, what is he talking about? What a hypocrite talking about Rambam and Rashi and trying to validate scripture through a couple of extinct rabbis. Not at all, not at all. Slow down, slow down. All I'm talking about is validating scripture through scripture. But to deny historically that there are commentators on the Bible, whether right or wrong, to look at history and historical writings, to surmise and gather information from those writings, there's nothing wrong with that at all. As long as in the end, the end result being we're going to layer everything that we speak about upon the scriptures and in the scriptures alone is where we find the validation of our biblical truth. So before we jump in today, I just want to thank all of you out there that donate and support Torah to the Tribes. Now without your giving, we would not be able to continue. We've been able to do so much this year. It has been an absolutely phenomenal year because of the generosity of our benefactors. We've been able to host three of the pilgrimage feasts this year. We've been able to help people and sponsor people to come to those events. We've been able to go out into the nations and find the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And all of this has been possible because you support this ministry. You support what we're doing and I want to thank you for that. Now we are today going to be diving in to a various amounts of scripture so open up your Bibles and along the way give us some thumbs up if you like this video and if you don't like this video give us some thumbs down. We've got comments in the comments section. Keep it kadosh, keep it holy and let's dig in today. Turn in your scriptures to Exodus Shemot chapter 32, verse 20, where it reads, actually 32, let's jump in at verse 30. And it came to pass on the next day that Moshe said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to Yahuwah. Perhaps I shall make Keporah an atonement, a covering for your sin. And Moshe returned to Yahuwah and said, Oh, they, this people, they have sinned a great sin and have made for themselves Elohim of gold. Yet now, if you will please forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me, I ask you, out of your scroll that you have written. And Yahweh said to Moshe, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my scroll. Therefore, now go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Now see, my Malak, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And Yahweh plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron also made. Now, if we skip over to Exodus Shemot 33, verse 5, it reads, For Yahweh said to Moshe, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of you in a moment and consume you. Therefore, now put off your ornaments from you. 
that I may know what to do with you. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Chorev. Verse 7. And Moshe took the tabernacle. The Hebrew word here is key. It's Aleph He Alamed. And Moshe took the Ochel and pitched it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Moed Ochel, the Mem Ain Dalit Aleph He Alamed, the Moed Ochel, the tabernacle of congregation. Now, this is not the Mishkan, the Mem Shin Kaf that you find in Exodus Shemot 25. This is not the Mishkan, where we find the Torah of first mention, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. And this is where we begin our second leg of the journey. Because the reason for the title of this teaching, Ram, Bam, and Rashi, isn't so that we can learn the doctrines of Ram, Bam, and Rashi, trolls, trolls, heaven forbid. No, the reason is that we can examine historically that there are various valid opinions relating to the question of whether the Torah is written completely in chronological order, or if there is a distinction that needs to be made to those of us that are astute and wise, the distinction between chronological and achronological. And this is the crux of the message and the stumbling block to the Malkitzedic priesthood. This is why so many people are stuck in the church because in their mind the law is nailed to the cross and done away with, or they go in full messianic and end up full-blown Zionist synagogue of Satan with Torah, 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 and they can't see the wood for the trees. It's all Torah, but they're not really doing all Torah when you question them about their animal sacrificial habits. And they're looking forward to it, though, in the temple, in the new millennial temple, is their theology. And all this is based upon believing that the Torah is all chronological, which it is not. Now, Rambam, he believed that the Torah was written fully chronologically, whereas Rashi believed that the Torah was written in its narrative chronologically, but in its mitzvot are chronologic. That's the difference. Meaning narrative, there was Abraham, then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob. The narrative is in a chronological format. But the giving of the commandments is thematic, not necessarily in a chronological order. And here we are at our point today, looking at the origin of the Mishkan, and the distinction between Mishkan and Moed Ohel. And if we can find the truth, not through Rashi and Rambam, that's just common.
poetry that we don't have to listen to, but it is historically written, so why ignore it and acknowledge, be honest, and acknowledge that there are different schools of thought out there and examine the different schools of thought instead of putting your head in the sand and saying, oh no, there's only one school of thought, it's all chronological, and then you'll get sucked into the synagogue of Satan, gypsy dancing, and the star of Ramphan and Zionism and the synagogue of Satan to boot. We don't want that for you. How about a little bit of salt and a lot of light to lighten up your life. Let's look now at our scripture again when we see in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7 the key phrase, and Moshe took the tabernacle, the word there is ochel, aleph, he, lamed, and he pitched this ochel which is very different from the Mishkan, the tabernacle that you see in Exodus chapter 25. And he pitched it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Moed Ochel, the tabernacle of congregation. Now, the King Jimmy does us a great injustice here because it's all translated into the same thing and you just run it all along into one. But it's not. This is going to show us the distinction between chrono chronology and a chronology. This is the key point to the Malkitzedic understanding that so many just can't get their head around. And I hope today that this video will really aid you to see the difference between thematic and narrative. And it came to pass now in verse 8, that everyone who saw Yahuwah went out to the tabernacle of the congregation, which was outside the camp. And it came to pass when Moshe went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood, every man at his tent door, and they looked at Moshe until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moshe entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and Yahuwah talked with Moshe. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people, they rose up and they worshipped every man at his tent door. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, Panaim el Panaim, face to face, as a man speaks with his chaver, his friend. And he returned again into the camp, but his servant, Yehoshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. What on earth is going on here? Well, what we find is that Moshe actually did not ascend Har Sinai, the Mount of Sinai, just once or twice or thrice, but he actually ascended and descended the mountain 10 times. Now, the problem is, if you don't understand where these different 10 ascents and descents are, you're likely to fall into the synagogue of Satan trap. And that trap is you string it all together and you end up in a Levitical hierarchy and you're into Torah, 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 without differentiating between the Book of the Covenant and the Book of the Law. Because what we find 
is that in Exodus chapter 32, verse 31, we are actually at Moshe's ninth ascent of the mountain. This is stunning for some people. They've never heard of such a thing, but it's true. You see, Moshe in Exodus chapter 32, verse 31, he is the last Kadosh, holy Malkitzedek. And as the last holy Malkitzedek, who wasn't involved with the sin of the golden calf, he actually intercedes for the nation because they were participating. Even Aaron was at the sin of the golden calf. So he, Moshe, is the last kingdom of priests. Remember all the way back in Exodus 19 where Yahweh said, I will make you a holy nation and a kingdom of priests? Well, of course, Moshe was one of those priests within that kingdom of Israel, but he was the last one to retain his holy status because the rest were involved in golden calf worship. Bar, of course, Joshua, the son of Nun, who was halfway up the mount. But Joshua, Joshua, therefore, was ready to come alongside Moshe Rabbeinu, as we will see. Look at Exodus chapter 32 and verse 33. Whoever has sinned. You see, this is Moshe's intercession. And it's actually, really, if you look at it, it's only partially successful. The individuals are judged. The limitations now, we find, come upon Moshe's mediatorial office. There are restrictions and limitations about what he can do as a priest because the limitations of his mediatorial office point to the need for what? That there would need to be a greater mediator who will actually present a full and effective atonement for sin. And where do we find that full effective atonement for sin? We find it in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 10. But look at Exodus 32 verse 34. I will visit punishment. Well, apparently a plague was added as a temporary punishment into the whole generation until they completely died off in the wilderness. Now if you go up to 33 verse 1, you find this in the text. You have brought out. What? Yahweh absolves himself of responsibility for Israel because they broke the book of the covenant. It's not Yahweh now who, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. No, it's you brought them out. You see, Yahweh is absolving himself of all responsibility for Israel because they broke the covenant. The book of the covenant they broke. Now, if you skip down to verse 3 of chapter 33, for I will not dwell in your midst. So the Torah we find here is not all chronological. We have to differentiate between the narrative, which is, I give you, chronological, and the mitzvot, the commandment giving, which is achronological. You see, the establishment of the Mishkan, the tabernacle and its priesthood, and this is what Rashi did actually understand, the establishment of the tabernacle and its priesthood it is a response to the golden calf. And it's the book of the law tutor and schoolmaster that is the remedy to the sin of the golden calf. But is it fully effective in covering an atonement? 
Of course not. It is temporary until the time of reformation when the seed would come and bring us into a full, effective covering and atonement, his blood. You see, there is no tabernacle. This is shocking for some of you to understand. But there is no Mishkan tabernacle in Exodus chapter 32. There is no tabernacle Mishkan in Exodus chapter 33. Why not? It's not there. Even though the commandments for the tabernacle were thematically placed before in Exodus chapter 25, you'll find Mishkan there in the Hebrew. But you will not find Mishkan in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 33, and chapter 33, excuse me. Why? You've got to ask yourself those questions. Why? Now, my critics, they don't like it because I ask. I ask why. I challenge us. I challenge myself as I challenge you. But they'd rather keep their head in the sand, fly the flag of Ramfam, and do their gypsy dancing, full messianic synagogue of Satan. And all of a sudden, I'm just this thorn in the side, and you can just troll me and hate me because you're not willing to look at historical reality. Now, I'm not saying that the history of the world is scripture. I didn't ever say that. But what I am saying is you can close your eyes to it, but that doesn't make it any more not real. It doesn't make it any more invalid, I should say. So that's the point. It's time to grow up. It's time to wake up. We've got so much half-truth and fairy tale nonsense out there with people trying to make a name for themselves and trying to go forth and do all of this Levitical hierarchy, coming up with new priesthoods left, right, and center from the Zadokites, the Zadoks, anything to make a slight twist on the truth of the Malkizedek. The Levitical here, you know, the Kabbalah there. I mean, it's all a perversion of the biblical scriptural account. And today, I'm gonna to set the record straight. Now, if it so happens that an ancient dead rabbi happens to agree with me, then great. I'm not opposed to agreeing with the rabbis when they agree with me, and I am agreeing with what is written in the scripture. Maturity and being well-seasoned at this point in the game is what it's all about. I don't have any time to play around with you fairy tales out there. I'm not in this for a lark. I'm in this for life. And that means it's time for us to get the sword out and get busy on the heretics that seem to surround us. Those little foxes, like I said last week, that try and creep in amongst Israel, the vineyard, the vines. So let's be real clear here. There is no Mishkan and only an Ohel right here in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 33. I'm just posing the question why rather than just reading on and that offends people. There is no Mishkan in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 30 and chapter 33. And because of that, it pushes me to delve into deeper study and ask why. 
Why, if there's a Mishkan in Exodus chapter 25, a tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25, why isn't it here in Exodus chapter 32 and 33? Because Yahweh is teaching us through his word that the narrative is chronological and the mitzvot, the commandment giving, is achronological. It is thematic in its force and structure. And because of that, the Malkitzedic priesthood is ordained for you and I today, for those who have an ear to hear and eyes to see. And I pray that you guys out there Give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying this video. And if you're hate watching, you're halfway through and you're still here. So there, that's got to tell you that you are clearly enthralled. Let's continue on. The Mishkan, the tabernacle and priesthood are a response to the golden calf. That's my premise, okay? Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Moshe took up his tent and he pitched it outside the camp. Well, what was it? Was it the tabernacle or was it the tent of meeting? You see, the Hebrew nouns that we find here for the two tents, they are actually different. One being most commonly translated as, in the King Jimmy, the tent of meeting, while the other is usually translated as tabernacle. And here, here, my friends, is the Malkitzedic mystery. The fact that Moshe sets up his own tent with his roommate, Yehoshua, Joshua, verse 11, a tent outside of the camp, underscored what? It underscored that the people had broken fellowship with Yahuwah at Sinai when they'd made the golden calf. You see, after the tabernacle was built, Moshe no longer needed his temporary tent, did he? And the term tent of meeting then, when then began to apply, be applied to the tabernacle. But what does that mean? This is just so confusing. No, it's not. It means that the mitzvot, the commandment of the tabernacle, from Exodus chapter 25 through Exodus chapter 32 is a chronological. It is not linear storytelling because there is no tabernacle until after the golden calf breach. All we have here is Moshe and his roommate's tent. Now this is tragic for the Levitical hierarchy. This just unravels their whole, whole narrative. And that is why some of you are still hate watching. And that's why some of you are so offended by Torah to the tribes. But you know, I'm like Marmite. And if you haven't had Marmite, buy some on the Amazon. You'll love it or you'll absolutely hate it. And that's the way it is with me. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that because that's the way I'm wired to root out, tear down, expose, and then build up. Somebody's got to do it, and this oily duck is willing to do it. So you can sling all of your comments on at me. You know what? It's just oily duck for me. It's going to come right off of my back, and then it's going to empower me more to get deeper into the word. 
So, you know, I've weathered the storms and praise Yahweh, give him all the glory for that. But we're coming into the end goal here. And that's why it's getting hotter and hotter out there for those of us in the Malkid Zedek, because there's more foxes popping up all over the shop with their little false premises based upon a twist because they used to believe in the Malkid Zedek and then they got offended or they got into Levitical hierarchy and full-on synagogue of Satan, Torah, Torah, Torah. And it all leads to destruction. But I tell you what, the amount of letters that I get from people out there, like yourselves, hopefully those of you still watching, that are excited, inspired, and life-changed by the Malkitzetic message, because you never had to go into all of that field of play, dress-up Jewishness, did you? No, you could go authentic right from leaving the church, understanding the distinction between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. So here we have it. There is no tabernacle proper right here in Exodus chapter 32 and Exodus chapter 33. You can't lump the roommate's tent of meeting with a future Levitical tabernacle response to the book of the covenant breaking. You just can't do it, not if you're going to have any, any scriptural backing. You see, the Hebrew verbal forms here used in verse 7 indicate this was a customary practice of Moshe. He would go out, he would put up his tent, put up his roommate's tent, I should say, as a temporary structure way before the Mishkan, the tabernacle proper, was built. Yet here it still is in Exodus 32 and 33. Which, of course, when they did put up the Mishkan proper, that was after the golden calf breach. So I hope that you understand the passion that I have for Yahushua, our Messiah. The passion that I have for him as my Melchizedek high priest and the clarion call that is now going out to the nations to gather his people in to his Sabbaths, his feasts and his festivals. That yes, the Torah is for us, but it is the book of the covenant specifically that is ordained by Yahushua under his Melchizedek administration. Don't fall for the lies. Don't fall for the deceit. And don't fall for all the fraudulent pop-ups. Now, a point to note is the Torah of first mention, the first animal sacrifice made by man, Chevel, Abel. Yes, his name means vapor. It means mist, a temporal state of things. So what does that tell you? Animal sacrifices were always supposed to be a vapor. They were always supposed to be a mist, a temporal state of things, until the nation became the kingdom of priests that offered up a sweet vapor of sacrificial prayers. This is the incense of the saints. Hebrews 7.11 testifies to the way the Torah is written, stating that the book of the law was given under the Levitical priesthood, which was determined, you've got it, at the golden calf breach. I love this stuff. I mean, the church taught that the Torah progresses according to a linear or chronological order, and then they just nailed the whole thing on the cross and said it's done away with. 
but we understand there's so much more to it. We have to take the narrow road that leads to life and follow our Melchizedek High Priest. Because according to the church model, you've got the five books of Moses that all happened in chronological order. Whereas I found in my yearly Torah study, it became apparent that the Torah is achronological. And I taught the Torah portions for nearly a decade, I think I actually did about 12 years of just going through the Torah each and every single year. So I had spent a lot of time in there and that caused me to see the difference between the chronology in the, in the um, narrative and the achronology within the mitzvot giving. But this is called seasoning and taking time. You can't just like rush through this like a buffet meal. This interpretation allows for thematic consideration, which is important, especially when you're reading your weekly Torah parshas, because this is what happens. These thematic considerations that we find in the Torah are placed in certain Torah portions and they place the Parshas together. Even though each Parsha may have been given at different times. Again, it's, it's differentiating between the narrative and the mitzvot. For instance, okay, I've said this many times, but it's a great case in point. The story of the manna, it finishes with Yahweh's commandment to Moshe to place a sample of the manna in the Ark of the Testimony in Exodus 16, verse 33. So here you have it, that Yahweh is commanding Moshe to place a sample of the manna in the Ark of the Testimony in Exodus 16, verse 33. But hang on a minute. The Ark of the Testimony in chronology wasn't even invented until Exodus 25. So this proves that the Torah cannot be all chronological because here you have over, what, six in chapter 16, what, nine chapters earlier, we have in the narrative, we now have an insert of a command which is achronological because the Ark of the Testimony wasn't even created or even actually wasn't even instructed until Exodus 25. Here's another example for you of where you just can't say everything's chronological. Look at the case of Judah and Tamar. Tamar waited for Shelah to grow up, right? That's the second part of that story then, must have taken place at least 13 years later, and hence it would have been after Joseph became viceroy in Egypt, right? Because he was sold at the age of 17, and he sold Pharaoh's dreams at the age of 30. Do you see? And that's right there, but you don't see it appear in the narrative of Judah and Tamar. So what about the commandments in the Torah? In what order are they presented? Do they follow the chronological order by which they were first given? Is that what we're to think? You see, the commandments are embedded within the narrative of Torah and not presented in one unbroken unit. And that's the key point. Rashi, 
together with many other commentators and numerous midrashim, midrashim consistently hold that the Torah is not all chronological. The episode with the golden calf preceded the command to build the tabernacle, and that is what is maintained in history by the rabbinical commentator Rashi in his commentary on Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Now, the tabernacle was never Yahweh's original intention, but it was rather a requirement which resulted from the sin of the golden calf. Again, the order of the Parshas in the Torah is determined by thematic connections and not necessarily, as we've just seen, the sequence of events. You see, by Exodus 20, we know that Moshe is receiving instructions from Yahuwah. He, We know this, and they get written down a little bit later, or he gives a discourse to the people that are summarized briefly at the time, and the details then come later. For instance, like the sprinkling procedures that are reflected in the differencing accounts between Exodus 24, 6 and Hebrews 9, verse 18 to 22. Now, there are some teachers in the Messianic movement that didn't get this, and they just chucked out the book of the Hebrews. The book of the Hebrews, I like that. Hey, it's the book of the Hebrews. No, the book of Hebrews. They chucked out the book of Hebrews. Maybe they call it the book of the Hebrews and chucked it out. I don't know. But it's nonsense. It's because of a lack of understanding of what I'm talking about. You see, the procedure used by Moshe when he came down from the mount in Exodus chapter 24 is written down and described much later in Leviticus chapter 14 verse 5 the sprinkling procedures. Now, the person that chucked out the book of the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews from the Messianic movement, couldn't make those connections because they're all going headlong down to the synagogue of Satan. That's apparent that we can all see, surely, with the star of Ram-Fam and all of that gypsy dancing nonsense. Look, it's not as complicated as people would try to make out. The golden altar of incense, we can see as another example, okay? That's skipped in Exodus 25, and it's written down much later in Exodus 30. You see, this isn't linear storytelling. It's not drag queen story time. And I know a lot of those in the Messianic movement like to dress up. But at some point, you've got to get with the biblical program rather than the traditions of the elders. This isn't drag queen story time. This isn't linear storytelling either. The Torah isn't modern Western literature. You've got to wrestle with it. You've got to struggle with the text a little bit. You need to spend some time in there. It won't all come to you in some nice, convenient place. Another example of this is in Torah Pasha Lekar, the death of Kera, Abraham's father. It's mentioned at the end of Torah Pasha Noah, when in reality, Terah was still alive when Abraham left the land of Canaan at age 75. You see, 
There's another biblical literacy technique, or literary technique, I should say, that's employed within the Bible that, again, does help you understand the text more, and it's called, well, I call it telescoping. I don't know if it's called that, but I like to call it telescoping, okay? And I, it, it's, it explains a common Hebrew storytelling technique. You see, the Gospel of Matthew, it does this. It telescopes, for example. If you read his account of the calling out and the sending out of the apostles, it sounds like it all happened at one time because the telescope is contracted, right? Well, we find if you read Mark and Luke, they actually happen on two separate occasions. You see, so the, the Gospel of Matthew telescopes his writings and Moshe uses, uses an achronological approach to the Torah. And that achronological approach, it allows for thematic considerations within the text. Both writers aren't just going to spoon feed you the exact chronology. And that's what people, they want. They want it to be spoon fed. And we just can't do that, you know. We have to spend our time seeking Yahweh in his word to work it out with him so that we can get the revelation. And this, my friends, is the mystery of the Malkitzedic. It's moving away from this Greco-Roman spoon-fed linear mindset and allowing yourself to be humble enough to allow the Bible to speak to you thematically as well. Don't get stuck in this chronology idea of the Bible. You have to look at it as this amazing work that Yahweh has delivered to us. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, it is written, At that time, well, what time? What time are you talking about? After the golden calf breach. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 10 and you can see that. At that time, after the golden calf breach with the second set of tablets, Yahweh set aside the tribe of Levi. There is your chronology, right? It's not all laid out for you. Hebrews 7.11 now testifies to this fact. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? This is the Melchizedek understanding. And to summarize and encapsulate it all, let's finish up with looking at the 10 ascents of Moses as he ascends and descends the mountain. Because another thing that we find within the church system and the messianic movement is they just run all this stuff together and either nail the, the law to the cross, do away with it, or they see it as all law, all law, and you're into ritual bloodletting and a bunch of Zionist propaganda, okay? What we have to do is take pause, and look at the ascents of Moses, and that will prevent us from chron chron chronologically running down this Greco-Roman line and running it all together, okay? So let's go to Exodus chapter 3, and you're going to find the first ascent of Moshe, Moses. He now comes, and the Elohim of the Malkitzedic priesthood calls Moshe into the priesthood, right there in Exodus chapter 3. Now, 
In Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, we get Moshe's second ascent up the mountain. Tell the house of the Malkit Zadok, Yaakov. And that is what we find in Exodus chapter 19, the second ascent. Now, the third ascent of Moses, it comes to us in Exodus 19, verse 8. And Moshe brings back the words of the people. Here we see Moshe bringing the words back to the people. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 20, we'll find the fourth ascent of Moshe. Go warn the people. There's specific covenant boundaries. You can't encroach upon the mountain. Go warn the people. That was the fourth ascent. Now we come to the all-important fifth ascent. Now this is key because Paul tells the Galatians, once a covenant is blood ratified, you cannot add to it. Meaning, if this is the fifth ascent where we're going to find Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, through Exodus chapter 23, verse 33, this is Moses, Moshe's fifth ascent. This is the crux of the Malkitzedic priesthood. Because within this fifth ascent, you get the blood ratification of the Book of the Covenant. I cannot stress or overemphasize that enough. You see, nothing can be added at this point. You can't run the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th ascents into this. You simply can't. Anything that happens after this is a separate law, is another law, because you cannot add to a blood ratified covenant. This is key, and you cannot lump a sense strung together with Greek chronology after this. This is the fifth ascent. So then we get to the sixth ascent, and that is in Exodus chapter 24, verse 9, and it is the book of the covenant confirming meal. Blood ratified, sealed, now we're going to have a covenant confirming meal. Now the seventh ascent appears in Exodus 24.12. This is the first set of tablets and imposed cannot be added law of commandments. So in Exodus 24 verse 12, we get the first set of tablets and then there's the impossession imposed. It cannot be added to the book of the covenant because that was already blood ratified, we've got an imposed law of commandments. This right now is a break in the chronology and it is talking about the golden calf breach. And this is the stumbling block to all Israel that want to follow after headlong into destruction, the synagogue of Satan, because they can't understand that the Torah is not always chronological and they don't understand it is framed in covenant. If a covenant is blood ratified, it is sealed, you cannot add to it. Paul tells the Galatians this. So this new law of commandments, along with tabernacle instructions, is something distinct and different, a result of the golden calf breach. This happened at the seventh ascent. At the eighth ascent, we actually find now in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, is after the sin of the golden calf. 
And then the ninth ascent, Exodus chapter 32, verse 31, Moshe is the last holy Malkitetic priest. He's the only one that didn't get defiled in all of the coveting and cohorting down there at the golden calf. And he is the Malkitetic um, priest, not high priest. He's the Malkitetic priest that intercedes for the people. And then finally, we get the last, the 10th ascent of Moshe in Exodus 34. And we get the second set of tablets that are placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the book of the law is placed outside the ark in a pocket as a what? A witness against Israel for breaking the book of the covenant housed inside the ark of the covenant. This is Rambam, Rashi, Angels and Calves. We don't need the rabbis. We need the word of Yahweh. But I am not opposed to giving you the history of some of the rabbinical schools of thought. And you can see, even with the rabbis, they were not so naive as to deny that there was a distinction between, at times, narrative and mitzvot giving. Rambam said, no, the Torah is all chronological, just like the messianic movement today. And you know what? Even the Christian church would say it's all chronological. But Rashi, he understood from spending all of his years studying that yes, there was a difference between narrative, which is chronological, and commandment giving, which is achronological. I don't need rabbi to make my point. I believe I've showed you and demonstrated to you through the scriptures. But if you're not willing to see, then it's either back to the church or headlong to the messianic movement for you. And at this point, there are so many people that are awakening to the Malkitetic revelation. I don't know what to do, but to do this last clarion call to try and help, to try and help so that you won't have to go down the paths that I once trod. Shalom, and I hope to catch you next Sabbath and bless you. Remember, give us some thumbs up if you like this video. And if you've been hate watching all the way to the end, you're clearly enthralled. But, you know, it's time for you to give us some thumbs down and leave some comments in the comments section below and be nice. Shalom. Shalom.